everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find more about Author Magazine at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more about that organization, no matter where you live, you don't have to live in the Pacific Northwest to be a member. Go to pnwa.org. So little, little, something a little different, uh, not totally different, but a little different this uh, this week. Two authors, co-authors, uh, Chris Batchelder and Jennifer Habel, authors of the novel Day's Work. Different kind of book, not the usual kind of book for co-authors. I'll get into that. It's more of a literary, well, it's not more. It is a literary book and uh, unusual stylistic choices they make. Fascinating interview. Uh, man, when they told me how they wrote it, I just about fell off my chair. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have been so surprised, but I was. And I don't know, maybe you'll be surprised too. That's something to look forward to. Chris uh, Batchelder is the author of four novels, including The Throwback Special, a National Book Award finalist and winner of the Terry Southern Prize for Humor, and Jennifer Habel, his wife, they're also married, I should point out, is the author of the poetry collections Good Reasons and uh, The Book of Jane, which won the Iowa Poetry Prize. And um, yeah, so they co-authored a novelist, poet, wrote a book together. Oh, interesting, interesting. how they do it? How'd they do it? Why'd they do it? Well, listen and find out. Enjoy. Oh, oh my God. We've got something a little different. Not totally different, but a little different. I have not one, but two authors today. I've got, just got their names correct. Chris Batchelder and Jennifer Habel. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. So... You two have got some explaining to do. Um, you are not the first uh, writing team I have interviewed. Uh, there's a few, not many, in terms of book writing. As you know, you probably know in screenwriting, it's pretty common. But book writing, not so much. However, I have to say, um, the co-authors I have interviewed have all written what I would describe as highly plot-driven stories. And take no offense... But I would not describe day's work, day's work, as plot driven. Is that a fair assessment? Fair description? Not a criticism, but simply a description. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. It may be the opposite of plot driven. Yeah. <laughs> it may be, but it doesn't mean it's not readable. Just not, you know, uh, suspense. Let's say. Okay. But let's back up a little bit and, and get to know your twin journeys to this book, Jennifer. You are a poet, the author of three poetry collections. Uh, how long were you a devoted writer? Did you start as a little girl? Did you come to it in college? When did that begin for you? I started writing secretly in college. I It took me until I'd say my mid-20s till I sort of confessed to myself that I wanted to be a writer. Okay. Why did you write secretly? Because it seemed like too big a dream, too pretentious a dream, too scary a dream. What was it? I think I had a hard time seeing myself as somebody who could be a writer, you know, who yeah. was interesting enough, unusual enough. 
Yeah. And I was on a path to uh, try to become an English professor. I, I've just oh, always okay. been a big oh. reader. So and then, yeah. Wait, wait, so, you were a English professor who was not a big reader. You were a big reader. No, no. I'd always been a, a, a huge reader and, yeah. you know, thought that I wanted to be a scholar. Um, but then I, I took a little break from school. And in that time, was not doing the scholarly writing I thought I would do when was instead writing poetry. And so in that period, I, I kind of realized, I think I want to go back to school and creative writing. So that's what I did, went back and got an MFA. Now, I would think it would be tough being a a, a sort of burgeoning uh, English professor who reads work, loves it, honors it, teaches it, to allow yourself, I always say this to my students when I'm teaching writing, like, look, you got to, you know, my name is right next to Stephen King. So my books on writing always appear right next to his. So I got to belong on the shelf with everybody, right? I can't break them up into the those who have it and those who don't. So I would think that if you spend so much time sort of, I don't want to say deifying, but that can happen, these great writers, that it can sort of mentally mess with you a little bit. Did that happen to you at all? Yeah, I think that that is part of the issue I had in, in trying to see myself as as a writer was the way I revered uh, these these greats. Yeah. And, you know, I and I think, uh, you know, gender probably came into play in this a little bit, too. I spent college. <laughs> all the greats. Yeah, all a bunch all of guys who look like me. That's right. 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 <laughs> and um, I just I just didn't see myself in that way for a long time. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things I think in this book even is thinking about these issues of authority and permission. And, you know, Melville was somebody who felt a lot of permission and a sense of authority <laughs> as a writer. So I think that's one of the things this narrator is thinking about in the book. So, Chris, uh, so you're a novelist. Is it all novels or do you do, do you dabble in the short fiction also? I've written a little, sh a little short fiction here and there, but all my books are novels. Novels. Okay. And I'm just, I'm trying to use my spidey senses here i'm sensing that you were not a secret writer that you were an overt writer is that is that am i right uh am i wrong yes but i came to it relatively late oh, um okay yeah so i um was an english major so i was interested in in literature and writing and i um worked in journalism as an undergrad um ah, okay. uh, and was a was a writer in that respect and and worked in newspapers and, and another point in my life in my 20s i had another job in um in journalism um but i i found that in journalism i was a terrible interviewer um what Why? i liked. What, what made you a bad interviewer well, I don't like um, to talk to people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me apologize in advance. <laughs> well, I'm not interviewing you, luckily. That's true. But um, no, and just there were situations where, and I didn't work in like um, in in politics or covering right. like a death, you know, life and death stuff. I was I was primarily a sports writer, but still, I if a kid. You know, if I was covering a college beat and a, and a kid got kicked out of school, I'd have to go interview him and or his parents or something. And I just was yeah. terrible at that. I didn't like it. I wasn't up for it, you know, but I loved writing sentences. I loved making making things. Right. Um, but it just took me a while to get to think. I think maybe similar to to Jennifer, just thinking, uh, can I do this? Um, I was in grad school um, getting a Ph.D. in, in English and I um abandoned that at some point and kind of I think challenged myself um to to do this thing that I 
had wanted to do. So when I went back for an MFA in, in fiction, I was 29, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. old, old man. Old yeah. man by MFA standards. Some sort of, sort of not really. You know, I majored, I thought when I was 18, I'll get a degree in journalism. I want to be a creative writer, but, you know, got to be practical, blah, blah, blah. Right. I made it through one class of journalism before I decided it is <laughs> not the same. It is sentences, but it is not the same. Also, I will say, if you're a fiction writer, now this, um, Jess Walter, I know who blurbed your book. He was a journalist, did that for a while. So it can be done, but, but uh, empathy, prime uh, it's a necessary tool for the fiction writer, the poet. And I would think, I remember going through what you did. I was interviewing some guy, some alarm had gone off. He was in charge. Some older man was in charge of what went wrong. And I was there to grill him. And I'm like, this poor guy, he just made a mistake. What am I, like, I don't want some big expose on him. I'd rather tell his story. So it's a different kind of skill set, digging for what people did wrong, right? Than wanting to tell every side of the story, kind of. Sure, sure. And wanting to rely at some point on my imagination and yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> not, not encouraged in journalism, usually. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Well, so I haven't, so if you, if our listeners haven't guessed it already, Jennifer and Chris are in fact married. Uh, they've also written a book together. Uh, uh, without telling me the whole tale, you're both English majors, you're both writers. Did you meet in school or was it was it when you after you graduated? What drew we, what, how did you find one another? We met in graduate school, although uh, we're just sort of friends and people whose paths had crossed in different ways for years. I think yeah. it wasn't until maybe five or so years after graduate school that we got together. Oh, oh, OK. So you knew each other and then you got together. OK. All right. So you were, you were a little you were grownups. You were yeah. grownups at that point. Right. Uh, I'm only going to ask this because. I have a wife who's a writer. Uh, we have kids. You have kids. We do. We do. Okay, two teenagers. A, two teenagers. Okay, because that's a thing. Writing kids. It's a whole thing. Okay, so I, like I said, I've been married to a writer my whole life, <laughs> my whole adult life. I, I think it's great uh, because I only need to say, oh, it was one of those days, and she knows. You know, I don't have to explain it, and she doesn't have to explain it. But and a lot of the writers I've interviewed are not married to writers, and so, so have you found it a liability? Or a blessing that you're both creative writers. You can, whoever wants to go first can dive in. Try not to contradict each other. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll go first. I, okay. I think it's been a blessing. Uh, you know, one thing is that working in different genres yeah. perhaps made it easier because it minimized any maybe competitive issues that would have arisen yeah. if we were yeah. both writing novels or both writing poetry. Um, but we we really became each other's first reader, kind of best editor gradually over time. Is that, and so oh, 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 really? So you still do that? Yeah, you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even the, so you would read her poems? Yeah, absolutely. See, yeah. There's something about the I know, I know it's the same because I did poetry too, but it feels like just leave it alone. Leave me alone. I'm writing my poem. Fiction, fine. It's a great, big, hairy beast of a thing. I need some help. But the poem, it's contained. I remember listening to Bob Dylan or reading Bob Dylan describe writing his memoir against his song, or as opposed to his songs, which are like poems. He's like, I could hold the song in my head, which you can kind of a poem if they're not great, big things. But he said, the book, I could never hold it in my head. Right? Does that make sense? It's Absolutely. big for that. So you read each other's stuff. Yeah, and I... Yeah, all along and um, and increasingly, I think, through the years, getting more and more involved in each other's work. So this, you know, day's work uh, kind of culmination kind of. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we can get into that, but it wouldn't have happened, I don't think, 
because of the pandemic, unless the pandemic had happened, that was the thing that I think had to happen for us to be completely thrown together in the way we were, but we were yeah, increasingly involved in each other's work. And I'll just add to what Jen said about two writers is the, the thing about two writers is you never need to explain to the other one why on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, <laughs> you're, you're in a side in a de- at a desk, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. you might have to. Yes, because I will say couples who are where one is a non-writer, there's some kind of jealousy because it's almost like a love relationship that's happening in the room, you know, because it's intimate, it can't be shared, and you're really not welcome. The other person really is just like and really can't be there. And I think it's sometimes it's hard for that partner to understand, whereas with the writers, you know, we know, we know. Um, Yeah, and even the way that you deal with um, personal material in your writing. You know, I think that that writers understand that in a different way than non-writers do. Yeah. And so you don't find yourself writing to please the other. In other words, you're your first reader and it's nice to hear nice things. (laughs) You don't ever because you kind of know their tastes and so on. You don't ever find yourself having to watch out for like, oh, Chris will like that. Or, oh, do you are you really disciplined in your writing that you don't hold the reader and your your first reader in mind at all? Who went? I don't know. Uh, you try that first, Jennifer. You take a swing. I think uh, to the extent that when I'm writing something that I know Chris is not going to like, <laughs> yeah, I can I can hear that, you know, and and often we'll think like, ah, oh, damn it, you think he's probably right about that, you know, even before he says it. But I don't uh, write to try to please him, or you but know, he cannot like that. something that's still good. No, he can still like something that you still say well. Yeah, it's, it's more. I think it's more that you know he knows some of my things I would do repetitively, you know, right. or sort of my worst instincts kind of thing. Yeah, or we've gotten uh, we've gotten to that point, I think. So I'll I'll think. I wonder if I can get this one by Jen, you know, because like, um, <laughs> I I have a sort of um, excessive, sometimes excessive comic sensibility, and I like riffing on things. And I'll, right. instead of instead of one sentence, it'll be a paragraph, and instead, you know, I'll just keep going and. Um, she's just a great reader in that respect, um, to just check on some of those excesses throughout the years. I think that's been her primary, I mean, because she's right when she, when she says, I think you went too far here, you know, right. so it's, it's actually really helpful. So I don't, I, I don't preempt myself necessarily when I'm writing, but I, I, um, am relying on her actually as a kind of backstop. Yeah. So, um, all right. So as I mentioned, this, there's a lot that's unusual about this book just as a book, if it weren't written by two people. But the thing that I found most surprising was that it is, it is, there's a distinct stylistic choice you two made. And it occurred to me that is, that seems more difficult to do as a pair than say writing a suspense novel where you take that chapter, I'll take just this chapter. We'll kind of agree on a voice and let's go or the way screenwriters do. This has a very distinctive voice. And a very distinctive approach that you decided for the for our listeners who haven't read it yet, it's broken into very short paragraphs, sometimes a sent more often no more than two to three sentences. Um, the content we'll get to in a sec, but just that approach, which is so unusual, is the kind of thing that I could see dreamed up in one person's mind, rarely two. Although I've done collaborative stuff with artistic stuff, never around writing. So talk to me about that first. How did you arrive at that? whose idea was if it was one, um, who would like to take a first stab? 
Well, the way we wrote it was actually just sitting next to each other and writing the sentences together. So there was what? no, what? I know, I know this sounds, oh it sounds God, deranged. No it sounds, way, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh my so, God. Okay. I mean, I, right. I think it, like, I, you're right. Given the form and, and the, the voice of the book, I, I don't know that we would have been able to do that any other way. You know, it was sort of like a voice that we co-created. Um, Holy shit. I'm sorry. That yeah. is, I have that. I have <laughs> never Again, only screenwriters who are fueled by cocaine have, I feel like, are tend to. Okay, so how does that go? Because I know what it takes to write. You both, I know the the incredible like privacy and sovereignty of the imagination. But you're bringing somebody in on a sentence to sentence level. Okay, tell me how that goes. Walk me through that. How does that just, just describe it to me? Uh, I'll back all the way up just to say the pandemic is really important that, you know, like everything shut down. Yep. It allowed us to do this. I don't know if we would have been able to anyway. So it allowed us to say yeah, nothing else like, to do, really. Yeah. Like this was our obsession to write about an obsessive person who's interested, right. you know, who's interested in obsession. So okay. uh, we are sitting there together. We have these hours that we didn't used to have. And it's really out loud. Like Jen, Jen was at her her um, laptop. And, mm -hmm. and, and typing, but we're just both throwing sentences out to each other and editing um, out loud. And I think, I mean, the the screenwriter is a is a, the the writing room is a good analogy because sure. I think people are really surprised that at our process, but it does happen in writing rooms that people who that's know true, it's true, yeah, who know characters yeah. very well are able to write these characters. And I just think we the the narrator is based on Jen. It's not Jen. Right. Uh, but we both knew this narrator pretty well. Um, I think we were both starting at a place. Um, our starting line was not necessarily Jen's starting line or the one she would have chosen or the one I would have chosen. So it wasn't her vision or my vision. We were really very early on having to find the shared vision of who this person is and what she sounds like. And then I think the form was a set of guardrails, the form you brought right. up, uh, yeah. how, she, how she proceeds through the book and, and who she is. All those things helped us um, come up with a pretty consistent voice that we both could. It, it was a very strange experience to have the book be. I think we both felt this way that the book was really outside of us. Um, it didn't yeah. belong, didn't belong to either one of us. And so we felt like every day we were feeding lines together up to see if it would take, if it would, if the book would accept or reject these, you know, these lines oh, that we were coming. I like it. So that, so it, so Jennifer, the character was sort of, I mean, I got the sense that it kind of was based on you two kind of sort of the way these kinds of books are. Um, did, were you just throwing some stuff down initially? Jen? He said you were both doing it, but it sounds like maybe you had a few things that you were tossing around. Were you, okay, first of all, Herman Melville <laughs> plays a significant role in this and, and Hawthorne, but Melville in particular, were, are you yourself interested? Were you a Melville fanatic to begin with? Or did you say, oh, you found her, found this character? Who Do you ever give her name? Do we ever? I no, don't think so. Names. Okay, good, good. It's, it's my mind. I couldn't think of her name because you never gave it. Okay. Yeah. He's obsessed with Melville during the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's what's true about this book is that I became obsessed with reading about Herman Melville. Uh, prior to writing it or while you were writing yeah, pri it? Yeah, prior to writing it. Not not all that far prior to writing it. But I, yeah, I got, I started reading obsessively about him and was trying to figure out how to write about him. So there was a, a period in this project that was, was me just casting around with right. what I was going to do with this material. And then talking to Chris about it a lot, uh, you know, in part again, because we were home together. So, yeah. yeah, so, so it, it originated with my obsessive reading and, you know, so that, and then that's in the book, obviously. Now, uh, 
What were your thoughts on Melville, Chris? Did you have any strong feelings, pro or con, prior to this book? Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, we so neither of us um, is a person who has been obsessed with Melville for years and years, <laughs> and or scholars right. about him, and and yeah. the way that some people do. Uh, I once we started, I realized how much he had been kind of a uh, a part of my life and part of my teaching. I've taught him, I've written about him a little bit, um, memorably a few semesters ago, pre-pandemic. I taught a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class on on the visitation in fiction. And, and I assigned Bartleby and on Fridays I'd bring my dog and donuts and I'd sit in front and read Bartleby out loud to the <laughs> students. And we stopped to talk about it. So right. I'd had these, I'd had these great experiences with Melville and, and had read Moby Dick. And, um, but so he, but I, I, I was never going to write a book about Melville. Right. right? I mean, that I wasn't going to, that wasn't going to happen. So when Jen started coming around thinking like, what, what kind of poetry book, you know, trying to get starts on her yeah. poetry book, <laughs> um, and talking to me about it, it, it changed for her. And then it, it changed, you know, my idea of what I might be interested in writing about. I felt guilty reading this. I have to confess because my relationship to Herman Melville is short because when I was 15, 16, it was assigned. Now I'd read, I was a reader, kind of an avid reader. I'd read, already read Hamlet twice for various reasons. And so Blanco's Melville, I got one chapter in and I was like, and I'd already read the Red Badge of Courage and Scott. So I was the eight, 19th century stuff. I got it, right? Couldn't do it. Couldn't one paragraph. And I never read it. And the time came to write a piece about it. And I just said, I didn't read it. And I got a D, which I never, ever got. But I got one. And I've been <laughs> resentful for about Herman Melville ever since. Never looked at it again. So I, in my, anyway, so I, it colored my, what that man meant to me. But obviously not to you. Maybe I should have tried him when I was older. Did you read Melville when you were young, old? When did you first meet him, Jennifer, as an author? Uh, I, I read Moby Dick, I guess, in my 20s. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd encountered Bartleby, but I've never been a Melville freak. You know, um, it really what happened was I came upon an article in The New Yorker written by Jill Lepore about the house that Melville wrote Moby Dick in, in Western uh -huh. Massachusetts and his wife and his sisters and the way in which they uh, supported his writing, copied his writing. Um, we used to live in Western Massachusetts. So I was sort of fascinated to realize that that's where Moby Dick had yeah. written and so forth. I, I just became really interested in the conditions under which he wrote that book and in the other people in his family and how they contributed to it. Right. So I actually started out researching his sisters and his wife, but uh, Herman Melville is, has had a fascinating, you know, he had a totally fascinating life and is sort of an intoxicating person once you yeah. start. So he he took over basically. Not an easy man to be married to, according to what <laughs> your character related in this book. It didn't sound like. No, no. And I, I think one of the things this book's really interested in is what is art worth? And and what is the cost of making it and trying yeah. to put those yeah. two things next to each other? Yeah, we yeah, have this these, book. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Oh, I was just saying we have these quotes, these kind of important quotes in the book that sit sit across from each other. And one is uh, James Wood's provocative claim that Moby Dick justified Herman Melville's life, which is a really interesting formulation. And then set aside from that is uh, Elizabeth Bishop writing to Robert Lowell, who had stolen some of his wife's letters for a book of poetry and, and Bishop saying, you know, art just isn't worth that much to him. So right. on one side, art justifies your life. And on the other side, um, there are limits to, you know, what you can inflict on other people while you're creating art. That is an interesting question that all probably everyone listening to this 
deals with to some degree because there seems to be tremendous overlap. It is sometimes hard to distinguish where the art ends and the life begins and so on. I know I know I couldn't quite picture my life without it. I don't think I'd be very interested in it, you know, but I always say to my, like I write about my own life all the time. And I always say to my, and my students who are doing memoir, there's you, the author, and there's you, that character, and you are not the same person. You are not the same person. You are not the same person. So we all have to remember that. So, all right. So I, I think it was um, uh, Clint Eastwood who said, if you want to know if you are married, can really marry someone, draw a drive across country with them like that'll be the test and i would say write a book with them is the other way so were there some tussles and i know when i'm writing my own thing i get in tussles with myself i will you know or with the book uh i how did that go in terms of just your relationship and this you're still together that's good so you managed to whether it was it a challenge in that way Surprisingly harmonious. Everyone we've told about this has said, I would be divorced. I would have murdered my spouse. Can't <laughs> yeah. understand why you would do this. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it surprised us, I'm sure, with how harmonious it was. I mean, you know, circling back to this issue about being married to another writer versus married to someone who's not a writer, you know, we've been competing for resources for 20 years in our household, you know, who, who I'm, has the time to write all, you know, yeah, especially raising yeah. children. Yeah. So in some ways it was this wonderful thing to be working on the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so we, we weren't uh, competing for resources in the same way. Yeah. And, you know, I have a tendency when I'm working on a project to get really, really um, involved. Like even when the writing day ends, I'm just in that space, you know, and I'm kind of, kind of gone from the domestic sphere. And that's, I'm sure, been an annoyance to, to Jen all these years. But she said a funny thing one time, like, I don't mind as much when you're doing it now because you're trying to figure out our book, you know, like <laughs> it has tangible benefits to, to her as well. But I, I don't, I think it came out of, um, like I said before, it wasn't Jen, like Jen had started with Melville, but the thing shifted on her into a, like a more of a novel. And then it didn't, for me, I didn't start with Melville. So I think it came from like, it's not, nobody was fighting for a vision. Right. You know, that's, that's, that's really what, interesting. That's, that's oh, but you, all right. It was meant to be, I got to say every once in a while you're, you're hit with an idea that comes easily. I know I'm sure this didn't come easily, but there's something about this that just lined up with the both of you. It's well, maritally for sure. I mean, there were, t there are tiny things about what I, um, tiny things about, like, I, I'd like to plan. I'd like to move things along. And Jen's more deliberate and more patient. So tiny issues like that. Right. But um, and she was right all the time on that. Oh, oh <laughs> she oh, was interesting. Correct. A hundred percent of the time are about what we should include or not include, how much of the couple, the married couple in the book. So there were there were issues that we discussed, but it was surprisingly not contentious at all. I think we never really talked about this overtly, but we seem to be operating on a principle where if somebody said, I don't like that or I don't think that's a good idea, we just dropped it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Grown up, very grown up of you, very mature. Uh, and so was it, how difficult was it to be able to say, yeah, it's done? When did you, and whose agent got it? <laughs> well, I mean, that's so important. But how did you know between the two of you when this is like, yeah, this is this is done? The book was pretty much written in order. It, it I think the form necessitated that. So yeah. we were sort of gasping our way toward the finish line it was a, it was it was a magical experience but it was also really hard to write this book uh yeah. just the, to deal with the material and so ooh, i'm sorry um and 
so we we could see the end as we approached it. You did, but and by the end, but I mean, there's the end, and then there's like going back and saying because you you didn't feel like you had a draft and said what is this mess it doesn't sound like that was the kind of thing you were writing no um but we did cut um at we had some good suggestions from our editor we did cut five thousand words which is a tenth of this book and we added chapters there weren't any chapters before these (laughs) i mean it was um and that was another thing i was wrong about um uh so there and when you cut 5000 words from a book like this cuz we really were concerned that each line led to the next line there's a real yep. logic and a progression mm-hmm. so when you cut stuff if you cut a page you have to somehow stitch together in a kind of surgical way these two pieces that weren't attached and sometimes that means writing new material so there were tricks of revision the end we we had our for a long time we had an idea of the end and it shifted and then there was the long process of like um permissions and oh I can't yeah. tell you how hard that was like um just the legal stuff that we didn't think about all the way through i'm glad we didn't but then when we got to the end you know how much you can use of a certain source and sure sure we quote we quote so much Ugh, what a pain but you yeah, got was- you got the permissions you got it published and so you i published my last book right in the teeth of covid which sucked i have to say book launches virtual book launches are nice because my family on the east coast could quote attend but it ain't the same it ain't the same so how has it been the two do you go out together to events and such and talk about it how's that been going yeah we've done some of that um and we've kind of had to figure out how to read together yeah so what's that that? we i mean different sections work differently but um some of the time I'm sort of reading the narrator voice. Chris is reading all the quotations. Oh, that's uh, good. Sometimes we can try to get the sort of a back and forth going. And we try to, we try to make it as sort of uh, integrated as possible between mm-hmm. our two voices. Mm-hmm. It's a little, it's a little tricky, but we can't just show up with the book and start reading. We have to no. plan it out ahead no. of time. And so that's, uh, that's. Who has you know. what line, how we're handling, we cut stuff. So we kind of rewrite for a. We try to make it's not like some traveling show or anything, but we try to make it sort of. Hey, I, you know what? If you're in front of people and they're sitting down and you're standing up, it's a show. I'm sorry. It's yeah, a show. Right. And really, I feel you owe it to them to treat it as much like a show. Even though you're written a literary novel, I, you still got to entertain them on yeah. some. Right. You got to read clearly. And so good for you. you practice it. Work it out. Do you? And then I assume you have a spiel where you talk about it and how you wrote it and all that. Yeah. yeah. People have been interested. Yeah. They've had any interesting questions, surprising questions. I mean, people are really interested in the process for sure. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's what we've been asked about the most. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people ask us about like what got left out, oh, you yeah. know, and and ask about just our feelings about Melville. But yeah, yeah, mostly it's it's basically like, why would you have ever done this? Is basically, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, is basically the question. <laughs> I, actually, now that I think about it, my yeah. wife and I tried to write a script together, and it lasted ten minutes. That's how long I went before I said, no, I can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't do this. So we we collaborate in other ways. All right. Well, so you got, you feel pretty good. You feel pretty, are you, are you what, how, how do you, what, what, how does this reside in your mind right now? This experience, each of you, Jennifer, what about you? Like, where do you place this? If that makes any sense. Well, I love that having, been a writer for I don't know 25 years something unexpected happened in my writing career Ah, something really unexpected and so for me it was this uh wonderful change and I enjoyed the um 
community aspect of it. You know, writing can be so lonely, right? And you just, you got to just be there by yourself all the time. It was really wonderful to not be by myself all the time when I was writing. So, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out if this was a one-off or if we're going to try it again or not. So we're, we're both at probably a bit of a crossroads in our writing careers, you know, going forward. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What what about you, Chris? I I mean, how do you feel about the potential for trying it again? Do you feel like it's possible or does this like, this is lightning struck and it'll never happen again? No, I mean, there is a, there is, I do, I do sense that it would be possible again, just because um, we figured something out and I should say this would not have seemed um, desirable or even possible to me, even a, even really recently, uh, we've been married 20 years. And um, right. uh, for most of that time, Jen's been a great reader, but I'm also very, very private about my writing even. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I learned how to do it. I learned how to be, you kind of have, you have to be really vulnerable in in this way that um, Jen yeah. is more comfortable with than I am, I'm, than I was. I, I've gotten there where you just, because what you find is if you're saying it out loud, you, you're just Every day, you're just a bad idea factory. Like it's just one bad idea <laughs> after another. And when you're writing by yourself, you you can you know you don't yeah. realize that you just you're just surviving the paragraph. But if you're yeah. saying it out loud to somebody, we could do this. No, we could do this. Yeah. No, uh, and we're each doing that to each other um, or for each other in a way um, every day. That uh, anyway, I got to that. I got to that place. So I mean, I'm I'm so I'm really proud of this book, and I'm really what what I love is. I think we both reached a place in our marriage and career and just age. We both turned 50 during this where I just, it doesn't feel like the book is as much an extension of identity or ambition or personal, you know, it just doesn't feel as personal. And so uh, this is not meant to sound like how virtuous we are, but I just think we felt like this in this case, let's just make this art object that we're both proud of. And it didn't feel like, it was about like, and it was just an extension of my ego or my identity. Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you one of the things, and I mean, it's good. It, it's something we artists all have to learn on some level, which is that it, it's like our work doesn't belong to us. Like you give it away. They make of it what they want. They will do with it what they want. And it it just doesn't belong to you. <laughs> you know, not in that yeah. way. Something belongs to you. What you went through writing, it belongs to you. Can't, but after that, Everybody owns Moby Dick if they want it. Yeah. I mean, it's totally true at the level of readership as you're talking about. There's something that can happen too, where we've all had this experience. If you're writing well, the book is smarter than you are. That's right. Oh, the book is wiser than you are. So in that sense, it doesn't even seem to belong to you either. If you're, if you're making this art object. Yeah. No, I always say when I'm writing, I want to put my, I want to put myself, I want to create an environment that allows it to happen. That's what I'm trying to create in myself. And that allowing is me collaborating with something. You can call it what you want, but it's always felt like a collaboration, even though I'm all alone right here in my room. All right. Well, this is the coach day's work. It's out there. We're all fine. Books are sold. I feel awards are in the offing for this thing. It just feels like it, but who knows? Who knows? That's not why you do it anyway. (laughs) Uh, All right. I got one more question for you. One more question. Uh, by the way, you guys, please make a website. The two of you, make a website now. Do it. <laughs> now that you've collaborated, you got to have one. You got to have just the day's work website and answer all the questions. People will love it. Okay. I'm going to start with you, Jennifer. So, Chris, you get to think about this. So, what I want you to do is I want you to think about all the writing you've done, this book and all your poems and everything else. And if writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Well, one of the biggest things I've had to learn as a writer is how to balance um, effortfulness and deliberation with openness um, to being receptive 
So at the same time, I am working hard. I'm also open to surprise. And I think I've tried to take that into my life too, you know, that I, I can live in a deliberate and um, responsible and determined way, but I also need to just see what's going to happen and what's out there for me and be willing to be open to change and surprise. So yeah, it's, it's that's a good way one. that that lines up. How about you, Chris? What's it taught you? Well, I, a lot of things, but um, I think it orients you toward failure in an interesting way. You know, the oh. artist, the artist's life orients you toward failure where you, cause you fail all the time. I mean, you fail daily, you know, and um, just you fail with a bad writing day or a bad sentence or you, you know, some projects just never get off the ground, you know? So you just, I, I think if you can get into this zone, our, a failure can be kind of not only okay, but interesting in a way, you know, if, uh, and and you have to live with it. Um, and for a, a perfectionist, and I tend to tend toward that way, it's a, it's a great lesson. Good answers. Oh, I knew they would be. Well, Jennifer, Chris, congratulations. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah. It's been a delight. Yeah, thank you so much. What a great couple. What a cool couple people they are. Interesting, huh? Could you do it? Could you write a novel like that with someone? Could you write it with your partner? I tried once. <laughs> it lasted about 15 minutes. Oh, and I really was to blame. I, I couldn't do it. But listen, everyone's different. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Thank you to my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. And thank to you, all of you out there. Thanks for listening. And, uh, you know... As always, as always, if you're wondering what to do, well, go find something you love to do and then do it.